It's time to break the silence and open up the dialogue around the topics of miscarriage and baby loss. No more shame, no more taboo. Let's ditch it for the sake of our children. The ones who are, the ones who will come. And in memory of the ones who never came to be. This is the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are joined by Kate Morgan, who is across the pond... It's six thirty in the morning. In, in the morning, in the morning, and um, but she hasn't. She's not telling us how warm it is over there because it's absolutely and, chucking it down here right now. And her name is Kate Morgan. Yeah. Morgan. Did, I, did I say that? <laughs> no, I think you said Kate, but then you said six thirty in the morning. <laughs> Good and Morgan. Good and Morgan. Kate Morgan. <laughs> oh, Kate, go on. Tell us how warm is it at six thirty in the morning? Um. It's actually only 60 degrees. What? How, what's but, that? That means nothing to us. Um, yeah, I don't know. What's I'm that? I'm going to look it up now. It's going to be 84 degrees, if that means anything. That also means nothing. Um, right. Convert- 80, 84. It's about 15 degrees here today. 60 degrees in fact. Okay, so currently 15 and a half degrees with you at 6.30 in the morning. I mean, it's less than 15 and a half degrees here now, and it's midday in May. Mm. It gets really hot here early. Yeah, right. Does it? Oh, my okay. <laughs> Well, I used to live in the D.C. area, and it was a lot colder, so I have to brag about it now. So, yeah. yeah, well, why not? Why not? Well, it's a pleasure to have you in the virtual studio, Kate. It's very um, weird, uh, seeing you guys because I listen to you every day, and it's just uh, is it is it everything you thought it would be? Yeah, <laughs> as uh... professional as ever, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can't thank you guys enough for what you do. Oh, I don't want to get emotional about it, but it's oh. you guys changed my life. Don't smoke, oh, don't smoke any don't smoke any blow. <laughs> I mean, don't blow any smoke up our <laughs> don't smoke blow either. I don't think it's safe. Um <laughs> thank you for saying that, Kate. It's really nice to have you here. So perhaps we can start with you just telling us a little bit about your story. Sure. So um back in 2019, I um we got pregnant with my son naturally, no issues took about six months to get pregnant. Um, we were actually over in Copenhagen in Ireland, um, just having a ball and got pregnant. And then in 20, when he was about a year and a half, we had a great pregnancy, easy labor. It was just picture perfect. I thought like, Mm. this is easy. Like, what is everyone talking about? This is great. Um, when he was about a year and a half, we started trying again. And I just naively thought, Oh, I'll get, you know, I'll easily get pregnant again. It didn't take long before. So we were trying, we're trying, it's about six months go on. I go to see the guy now and I'm like, I can't get pregnant. You know, can you run tests, see what's going on? He did. He's like, no, everything looks great for your age. Come back in six months and I'll refer you to an IVF doctor if you're not pregnant. And I'm like, okay. So we waited six months, go back, not pregnant, refers me to the IVF doctor. And they say, no, your levels are not normal. I don't know what the doctor was talking about. You have a very low AMH and a high FSH. And so I thought, okay. oh, yeah. So, so I thought for, pe- for people that don't know, can you explain what that, what that is? 
Yeah. So AMH is anti-malarian hormone, which basically says how many eggs you have in your reserve. So mine is very low for my age. So I think mine is 0.2 or 0.3 and it should be around one. What, and how old are you? If you don't mind my asking. 38. And then my FSH is I think 15 and it should be around eight or nine. And FSH, I think stands for follicle stimulating hormone, which basically helps your brain and your ovaries talk. So they said, okay, let's go the IVF route. And right then I was just like distraught, like what? I never thought I would have to go through IVF. So we did it and had a pretty good experience with it. Um, We were able to get two embryos that tested normal, which is, they were very shocked at based on my levels and my age. So we were really happy. And we did a transfer in August of 2022 And we didn't know if it was going to be a boy or girl. We said, just transfer the better quality embryo. So we got pregnant and they have you on progesterone and everything for 12 weeks and everything was going great. Um, We went in for our 20 week anatomy scan and it was right before we were going back to DC for Christmas. And so I thought this is great. Like we'll do the anatomy scan we'll know that everything's okay. And then we'll be able to go back and tell our family, like talk to our family about it and celebrate with everyone. Because when we had my son, it was during COVID. So we never, I never had a baby shower. I never got to celebrate with people. Most of my friends never even like still haven't met my son because we moved. Yeah. So I was like, this is great. Like 20 weeks. So had you kept it a secret from your family until this? No, we had told our immediate family, but not all of our friends. And uh, so we thought this is just, this is going to be the best. And we did the anatomy scan and I remember the doctor saying, everything's perfect. So we were really happy. We went home for Christmas and we were staying at my brother's house and I started, I don't want to get graphic, but I started feeling like, um, I was leaking, but it wasn't anything intense. It was more just like, Oh, that's weird. Like I haven't felt that before, but I thought, it's probably the progesterone. And I was Googling it, of course. And it's like, Oh, your hormones and this and that. And so I was like, okay, well it's Christmas. Like we're going home in a few days. I'll call the doctor when I get home. Yeah. And my son and I were not sleeping great just because we were in a different house. And, um, so I said to my husband, why don't we go back a day early just to get back in our, the swing of things and start sleeping again and whatnot. And thank God we did. Um, so we left on Monday morning, which was the 26th, the day after Christmas. And we had to do about, it was like a four and a half, five hour drive. But then with traffic, it turned into a nightmare. Um, Oh God. Yeah. So we were about an hour and a half from our house. And I told my husband, I'm like, we, my son is screaming in the back because he wants to just get out of the car. He's a two, two at this time or two and a half. And so we stop at a rest stop and I was just like, I need to go in and go pee. I'll be right out. And I run in and I peed and I saw like a a blood clot the size of a blueberry. And I was bleeding a little and I just thought, oh my God. And I knew at that moment, I was like, we're going to lose this baby. I knew it because I never had any issues before. I never had any issues with Daniel. Um, Sorry, I get very emotional about it. Um, So... um, I ran back in the car and I was, you know, I was, we have to go home. Like we have to call the doctor what's going on. My husband's like, just calm down. I'm calling my mom. And 
the doctor was very nonchalant about it and just said, you know, monitor it. And if it gets worse, come in and we'll see you in the morning. Like I'll make an appointment. And I'm like, what? Did you find that reassuring that they were not stressed about it? Or did you feel like they didn't really give me an answer? They just said, if it gets come in or if it continues, come in. And I'm like, what? Like, at least tell me, you know, what's going on or I just kind of wish I have a lot of regret that they didn't push me to go in mm-hmm. because I was second guessing it. And I was relying on them, you know, as the doctor to give me guidance on what to do. Of course. And I called my mom because my mom actually had um, two losses due to incompetent cervix before she had me and my brothers. So she's been through hell. <laughs> um, and I called her and she actually was pretty calm too. And she just said, you know, it could just be your cervix and like this or that. Don't, don't worry. Like just go to the doctor in the morning. And so I went home, we got home and my son ended up getting sick that night, throwing up everywhere. And so our entire night was committed to taking care of him and making sure he was okay. And so I didn't even really think like, what should I do right now? Um, so Throughout the night, I was having, it almost felt like I had a UTI. It wasn't like a ton of pressure, but it was just like, this isn't right. Something's off. Mm. And so in the morning, early in the morning, I said to my husband, like, I think I need to go in. Like, I need to call the doctor. And so the doctor said, yeah, if you're still bleeding. And it wasn't a lot of blood. It was just like um, spot, a little more than spotting. And so she said, you know, get into the emergency center, which is the Women's Pavilion Emergency Center is about a mile up from our house. So I said, okay, I'll go. My husband can take my son to school, meet me there. Uh, I'll never like forget driving over there. And um, I get in there and I just lost it when I got in. I just broke down to the nurse. I was a mess because I knew in my gut, I knew it wasn't, I knew something was really wrong. Um, So my husband gets there. Well, first they let me listen to the baby's heartbeat, which was like the best thing in the world. And they're like, the heartbeat's perfect. Everything sounds great. You know, we'll check you out once the doctor gets in. So it wasn't How did you feel at that point? Were you like, oh, okay, maybe everything's okay? Yeah, I did have a sense of relief. Like, okay, the the baby's okay. You know, whatever's going on, the baby's okay. So. And did they, did they measure baby at this point? And um, not when I was in there, no. I mean, they did two weeks earlier at the anatomy scan but not when I got into the emergency center. Okay. Um, so the doctor came in and it wasn't my doctor. It was just the doctor that's at the emergency room. And uh, my husband was there at this point and he said, let me just see what's going on. And I remember he checked me vaginally and he rolled his seat around and he had a mask on and I could tell just from his face, I knew um, it wasn't good. And uh, he said, your, your bag's bulging and you're two to three centimeters dilated. And I just lost it, completely lost it. Um, so you knew it, you knew what that meant because obviously your mom had been through. Yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't know how tragic it was. I knew that it wasn't good, but I didn't know, I didn't know it was that bad um, because I just figured like, maybe they can do something about it. Mm. And so they were rushing around and they put me in, I think it's called the, Trendelenburg position where your feet are up and your head is down to try and take pressure off of it. Mm. Um, and so they said, we need to rush you over to the other hospital that has the NICU. And 
and the high risk doctors. So they get me in an ambulance and I get over there and they did, they had to do an amniocentesis, which I don't wish that on anyone. It's very, very painful and uncomfortable, but they Why had to did do, they do that. So they wanted to see if there was an infection because, um, they can't do a cerclage, which basically stitches your cervix shut. If there's an infection in there, right. because that can be really dangerous to me. Um, so the whole thing was just crazy. So they get me in there and they said, we're going to do an amniocentesis. And so at this point, you know, I had gone to the hospital at 8am at this point, it's about 10am. And they said, we'll do the amniocentesis. And, but the results take about two hours. And I'm like, what? Because I went into labor so quickly with my son, Daniel, that I thought if I'm going into labor right now, like, cause I was starting to have contractions. We don't have two hours to just sit around and wait for these results. And so luckily the results came back in about an hour and a half. And they said, you're clear, there's no infection. So we'll get you down to the OR at 4 PM, which at this point now it's noon. So I still have to wait another four hours to get down to the operating room. And I thought, okay, well, if I'm already having contractions and I'm timing the contractions while I'm sitting there because I have nothing else to do and I'm yeah. laying feet up and my head down, just so uncomfortable. I, every time I have to go pee, I have to pee in a, um, what are those things called? The, the bed pit. Bed pump. Bed pumps. Yes. And it was just, it was crazy. And I'm staring at the clock and I'm having contractions every 10 minutes and I'm having back contractions, which I had with my son. So they're trying to monitor my contractions. And I'm like, look, I am having, but they're in my back. So they're probably not getting picked up. So I kept trying to explain to them, like, I'm having contractions. Like, can we speed this up? And um, they didn't care, but the doctor, the high risk doctor basically came in and said, we will, we can do a cerclage, but it might only buy you a few weeks. And I, at this point I need months because I'm only 21 weeks, 21 weeks and four days. And so I'm like weeks. So again, I knew, and like, I was, you know, a mess this whole time, just thinking this isn't, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to happen. This is like a temporary fix to just the inevitable of this disaster. And uh, so they took me up to labor and delivery and they said, we'll get you down at four o'clock. So it's probably two, it's probably three o'clock. And I start having them three, four minutes apart. And they're so bad that I could barely speak. And I'm like, this is, this is it. This is labor. I'm going into labor. And um, so the resident came in and he's like, we have to get her down. Like she's in labor. And so we get down to this room and the anesthesiologist is like, you need to sign this paperwork and this and that. And I, I'm like, I can't even talk. My husband's trying to talk to her. I can't, I'm in so much pain. I told my husband, I think I'm going to pass out. Like, this is so bad. And I was like, where's the doctor? You have to get the doctor. Um, because I wanted to, you know, tell him that like, we have to get this done. I'm going to have this baby. And I knew my body, I knew what was happening. And so the doctor finally came in, I was scheduled at four o'clock. And I think the doctor walked in the room around four o five and he said, okay, we're going to get you back there, but I need to check you first. And he checked me and he said, we can't do it. He said, um, you're, you're too dilated. And the water bag is basically like a very, like a a water balloon that if I barely touched it, it will pop. And before he said it was able, like he was able to like push on the water bag and it was flexible. He said, no, if I even touch this slightly, it's going to pop. And so he said, you have to have the baby and the baby's not going to make it. 
And um, I just thought like, this is the worst thing in the entire world. The worst thing. Mm. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe that they were just saying, there's nothing we can do. And you're going to have to deliver the baby and the baby's not going to make it. And I'm sorry. Um, I need to apologize. The fact that the baby was healthy and fine and had a perfect heartbeat. And they kept telling me that. And I don't know if that made it worse or not, but um, I just, I just couldn't believe it. So we went back up to labor and delivery. They were able to get me an epidural and uh, I went into labor and I delivered her at 8.58 that night. Um, And at one point, um, around six or so, I thought um, that they had given me Pitocin to speed up the labor. And uh, I felt something down there and I was like, what is that? And I asked the doctor to come in and check and it was her foot like coming through. So like I was already like really in labor at six o'clock. Um, so it happened really, really fast. Um, and I delivered her at eight fifty eight, and she did not have heartbeat. Um, so yeah, it was awful. And they think that I, you know, I thought it had to have been incompetent cervix because that's what my mom had and it just made sense. And it was easy to wrap my head around that and sit and think like, okay, that's what caused it. And in the future, we can do something about it. Mm-hmm. But they think it was preterm labor since I had previously had um, a, a pregnancy without any issues. So who knows? Oh, Kate, that sounds so horrendous. And to be on that, in just in sh- such a short space of time to have gone from you know, that fear, devastation to hope, and then, you know, being told that there was something that could be done and that being taken away from you right at the end just sounds horrendous. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was almost like I had no time. We didn't even have time to really process what was going on because everything was happening so fast and, you know, it it just, it was crazy. I mean, I went into the hospital at 8 a.m. and I delivered her at at almost 9 p.m. that night. and we had to call my, so my son was at school and we had to call my parents who were back in DC because we don't have family around here and say, you know, that morning we just said, can you get in the car and drive down here? Because we don't have anyone to pick Daniel up and we don't know what's going to happen. And so I think it was really hard on my mom because mm. she's been through it. Yeah. You know, so she knew what was going on. Um, yeah. And, uh, but worse than going through it yourself must be seeing your daughter go through it, right? Yeah. And I will say like, as bad as this is, um, I don't wish this on anyone. It, the fact that my mom had gone through this and my sister-in-law had several losses and a second trimester loss. I, I, I don't think I would have made it through this without them. And I don't know how people do it that don't have somebody, Mm. you know, because I remember after it happened, I couldn't talk to anyone. Um, except for them, you know, I couldn't talk to even my best friends for, you know, I've been best friends with them my whole life. And I just, I couldn't even talk to them because they had two kids and, you know, I, they just, I just thought they, they have no idea what, what's going on here, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. To understand it. 
and yeah. even if even if they do their very best to try you know that they don't get it and it's yeah. just you can find much more comfort from people that that have been through something similar yeah. and to to have that in your immediate family must have been just a lifesaver it was I mean every single day I would either text or call my sister-in-law or my mom because I just thought how am I going to get through this like how do you get through this something like this um I just thought I can't function and if I didn't have my son I don't think I would have functioned I mean I think I would have stayed in my bed all day and just cried because but I had to like it was almost a blessing that you know I had to take care of him because it kept me moving and kept me you know, doing stuff. And I didn't want him to see me so upset. So I had to kind of turn it off when I was with him. Um, but I did, I actually, um, the counselor or social worker that came in after it happened, she said, one of the best things you can do is get out and walk. And so I started doing that. And I actually heard about your podcast through, um, like a Facebook support group. Someone mentioned it. And like I said earlier, I mean, I, since it happened on December 27th, and I think I found out about you guys, um, the beginning of January. And so every single day since then I go on, you know, like four mile walks and just listen to you guys. And it's, it's such, it's, it's like therapy. It's so nice. So the warriorship, we wanted to come and tell you a little bit about it. Didn't we Bex? And in case you're already going, why? We don't want to know about a fucking ship. The Warriorship is our online membership for warriors in this community. It's packed full of stuff. So we just want to tell you about some of the stuff. All of the content from all of the courses that we ever run is in the Warriorship. So there's loads to get your teeth into. And we are also developing modules for what happens after. But not only that, we've also got a ton of educational workshops running once a month in the coming months we have got body positivity workshop gratitude workshop and loads 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 more and on top of that we also have a resident mental health specialist and on top of that if if that wasn't enough there's 13 events every month and there's stuff popping up all the time as well that other people are organizing that you can be a part of so it really is thriving and all you have to do is head to the link in our bio or visit our website and you can be a part of this too we love to see you there I'm such one for getting outside whenever you, I think just changing your state, wherever you are, changing your position, changing, getting outside if you're inside, you know, even sometimes like if you're outside snuggling up on, in your bed with a film or whatever, changing your state is so helpful in changing the way that you feel. Yeah. Um, but it's, there's something really therapeutic about listening to the experience of others because it just makes you feel less alone, doesn't it? To know that others have felt how you feel and they've come out the other side and they've sort of lived to tell the tale is is incredibly hopeful experience. Yeah, because when you get home from the hospital, you just think, what do I do now? And yeah. how, how do you move forward? And they don't prepare you at the hospital. I mean, they don't prepare you for anything. And they just say, well, you know, we'll see you back in six weeks for, you know, the your checkup. And even that, that's a mess because you go back into the doctors and there's pregnant people walking around. Mm. You're just sitting there, you know, it's, it's awful. It's such a strange reality that you sort of then become a part of. And I remember, I remember in the days sort of after my loss, 
because I was in hospital because there was complications and stuff. I watched an entire series with my husband of um, this program on Netflix. And I remember watching it. It was called, it was something about people were florists and they had to create these big, it was called the Great Flower Fight or something like that. It was a very British like (laughs) reality TV competition. Anyway, we watched an entire series and there were points that we were really laughing because it was funny. And it was such, it felt such a strange sort of juxtaposition to be in, like sat in this clinical, horrendous, plastic strip lighting hospital environment, laughing and feeling guilty for laughing and thinking, fucking hell, is this like reality now? Is this it? It's like so strange and fake and clinical, but yeah, it's just, but you still find things funny and you still have to get up and go to the toilet and you still have to eat and you still, you go to sleep. And I remember that was for me, I did not want to go to sleep because I was terrified. Oh God, this makes me feel emotional. I was terrified of waking up and forgetting what had happened. You know, those few minutes, few seconds when you wake up and you forget what's happened. And I was so scared of that feeling and that feeling of, oh no God, everything is different now, that I just didn't let myself go to sleep, which obviously caused loads of problems like further down the line. But it's so sad the way that we feel and what we put ourselves through. And, you know, we just, we need to know where to go for help and support. We need to be able to, everyone who's yet to go through this needs to be able to hit the ground running in terms of that support so they don't do stuff like that so they don't think that they're by themselves so they don't stay awake all night because they're so terrified of what sleep might bring you know it's so so important to be able to make it accessible the help that is on offer so to save women any like it's always going to be painful but to to save them that really 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 horrible isolation of the darkness yeah and I mean like you said the guilt I mean, I won't, I will never stop thinking, what if I'd done this differently or this differently? What caused this? Was it sex? Was it, um, I had like a sip of champagne the morning, Christmas morning. And I thought maybe that caused it. I mean, I'm just constantly going through things in my head and Googling and because preterm, they don't know a lot about preterm labor and what causes it. So I'm just searching for answers all day, every day. I mean, I was driving myself insane, insane. And Finally, you know, I, the doctors and I met with a bunch of high-risk doctors and they finally just said like, you're never going to find an answer for this. You did nothing to cause this, but I still have a lot of guilt. I have guilt over that. I even have guilt over, you know, they, they said I could hold her and I did, I held her, but I have guilt that I didn't hold her long enough. And I have guilt that I didn't, you know, take the blanket off and look at her body, you know, Mm. Um, but they don't they don't prepare you for that. They don't tell you, you know, you might want, you know, you might want to hold her longer or you might be interested in holding her again, you know, later in the night or tomorrow. And cause you just don't know what to do because you, you don't, you don't ever think you're going to be in that position. And I was just so naive. I never thought that this would happen to me. And uh, it was, it was dreadful. Hey, how did you, how did you communicate what happened with your son? So they actually told us um, to not say anything um, mm-hmm. as he was so young. They thought if he, 
if he asks about it or anything, you can be very blunt and straightforward because kids that age just, they take in the information, <clears throat> they process it and they're done. They don't need to keep asking questions about it or anything. Yeah. So what was he, two, two and a half, did you say? Yeah, he was two and a half. Yeah. Um, and so I, so we didn't really say anything. He did notice, obviously we were very upset and he kept saying like, why is mommy crying? Why is mommy upset? And he actually went to his daycare and started talking about it at daycare. And so his daycare provider contacted me and I said, you know, you can just keep saying mommy's okay. She's just upset. It's okay to be upset. People cry. It's they're happy. They cry every, all these emotions, but there's a little girl that's a little older at his daycare who knew because she knew I was pregnant. And so they had to tell her because she was older. And so then I was worried, okay, well, what is she going to be saying in front of Daniel? Um, but it, it was fine. It all worked out. Um, you know, he, he still brought it up a few times, but never about the baby. It was more just why is mommy upset? Right. So I did try and make a point to kind of hide that side um, when he was around because I didn't want him to pick up on that. And so, yeah, I wonder if it would be something that that he mentions in the future or not. Um, it's, a, it's a funny age, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And so her due date was last Friday, a week ago, um, May 5th. And so we went out of town and we actually planted a tree in her name. Yeah. And so, and we had him involved with it. He picked out the flowers to put down and everything. And again, I don't think he has any clue what he was doing it for. Um, but at least now we have the memories and the pictures and we can talk about it with him when he's older. Um, What's her name? Her name's Claire. Oh, lovely. Molly Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the other thing I went, when we had her, I, you know, we did not know if we were having a boy or a girl and obviously we really wanted a girl cause we had a boy and, um, we had the name picked out Claire and then Molly for my mom. And so when they told us it was a girl, I remember thinking, well, I don't like, should we use this name or what name do we use? Because she didn't, she's not going to be alive. And, and that just to me is like baffling now, because I can't believe I even thought to not use that name. Mm-hmm. And luckily within a couple hours, I you know came to and was thinking like, why wouldn't we use this name? This is our daughter, you know, and she's our daughter, whether she's alive or not. So yeah, we're going to use this name. I think um, I've heard uh, uh, people say the same thing, like they, they've chosen a name that they really love. And and did it was it the right thing to do because they wouldn't then use that name you know it wouldn't be a part of their everyday life and and there's what's well, Elle's book is what's the name of Elle Wright's first book ask me his name ask me his name it's so important to keep talking about our children that, that yeah and do you know the thing is if you didn't use that name you wouldn't ever use it again no like, even if you decided to change the name for that baby it wouldn't be one that you would use in the future because it was it, it was meant to be their name you know it's but it's so difficult all these emotions are so difficult and some some stuff that you talked about is really I I've been able to identify with and the difficulties the decisions that you make at the time but you know we we make the decisions that we can make with the information that we have at the time don't we that that's what we do as humans no one makes a decision that you think might be wrong or that you think you might regret later it's just we do the best we can with what we have. 
it would just be nice if we had more it would be nice yeah. if, if there were if there were more discussions frank discussions from health practitioners who who mentioned all of these things you know even if it's you know, had that knowledge here's a leaflet that that other people who've been in your situation questions they've asked regrets that they've had or something about the real stuff the real human stuff not just the practicalities yeah and I so I don't go to that doctor anymore um for several reasons but you know I just think why did they not push me to go to the hospital that night you know just to to be cautious why did they not tell me and I I blame myself too. You know, why didn't I just say like, you know, my gut instinct tells me I should go in, but you, you do what they tell you to do because you think that they, you know, know what they're doing. And even when we met with the high risk doctor after to kind of discuss plans, like for a future pregnancy and whatnot, I remember the doctor said, well, with your next pregnancy, you know, we'll do kind of a watch or wait and watch approach. We're not just going to give you a preventative cerclage. And I was like, absolutely not. Because everything I was reading was like, you need to advocate for yourself and you need to push for it. And so I said, absolutely not. Like I cannot go through this again. I like, I will not survive another loss like this. Mm. And so I was sitting in their office, just a hot mess saying, no, like if I'm able to get pregnant again, I want that cerclage, whether it's going to work or not. And whether my body goes into preterm labor again or not, that cerclage is comfort to me. Mm-hmm. And I, and I don't, I, I will find another doctor if you can't do that. And they agreed to it. Um, I think they just don't like to do it. They like to make sure that it's needed, but I just thought absolutely not. Like, it's I'm needed not- for your mental health. It, yeah. it will be needed, right? And I know how quickly I go into labor. So I'm not going to take that chance again. No. So talking about the future, how are you feeling now? Where where are you in your kind of journey and what, what are your thoughts on that? So right after the loss, I was, I'm the type of person that is like, okay, what do we need to do next? I'm very type A and let's get going, like figure out what, what, we need to do to get pregnant again because we're both older. And so the doctor, the IVF doctor said, we can do another retrieval because they want you to wait six months to get pregnant again from the loss. And so I did another retreat IVF retrieval, which actually my, I remember my mom saying, how are you going to do this? Like mentally, you're going to just be a mess. And it actually was great because it distracted me. So I was so focused on getting results from this that I I couldn't even sit and grieve. And so we did another retrieval, but unfortunately we did not get any um, good embryos from it. But I still got the one from before. Yeah. So we still have one left. Um, And so we did another retrieval back in March. And then from there, um, they wanted to do a, uh, they did a saline sonogram just to make sure everything was okay before we do another transfer. And of course they found something. And so I had to do a hysteroscopy a couple weeks ago because there was still some placenta left over um, that they needed to remove. So we did that. And then um, we are actually preparing now to do another transfer in June. Okay. Cool. It sounds like such a lot. And then you had the anniversary, uh, sorry, the the birthday due date last week as well. Yeah. And I thought about pushing it off. um, But when is a good time? You know, like when Mm. 
when are you not going to be stressed or scared or anxious you know yeah it's so difficult as well when you have you have to make all these decisions when like as you as, as you've already said like with your age um being a, not an issue but you know being a part of your decision because if you were sort of 24 you would have a bit of breathing room, wouldn't you, to go, okay, well, maybe, maybe now is not the time. Maybe I can do this next year or whatever. But I think that one of the hardest things, and I've heard this echoed so many times throughout women of a certain age, is that that stress is only going to get worse the older that you get, that 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 claustrophobia of, of, oh, my gosh, I've got all this going on, but I have to do it now because as I get older, the chances get less likely anyway. Mm. And that must be so so traumatizing for to to go through I know I feel like time is running out and we're just on in this race of we have to get pregnant we have to get pregnant we have to do IVF and IVF itself is a mental load and yeah trying to work so you know we don't have any type of real bereavement leave and especially not after you have a loss you know I went back to work a week later And it's just the load of work and a loss and IVF and then trying to get pregnant again. And I remember saying to my husband about a month ago, after we had done one round of IVF and we didn't get anything. And I remember saying, well, should we do another round? Like, should we maybe try next month and do another round of it? And I remember he looked at me and was like, no, he was like, you need to be happy. And I like hit me and I'm like, you're right. I need to be happy. And I'm not like, I'm, I'm, in this like phase of just do IVF and try and get pregnant and do this and that and grieve. And it's just, it was spiraling out of control. So do you do, what do you do in your life that brings you happiness? Hmm. Travel. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Travel and being, you know, with my son and my husband and, you know, seeing our friends and family and, but yeah, travel, I really like traveling. But maybe that's something that you can look at in finding something that brings you a personal bit of personal slice of happiness, whether it be, you know, some sort of exercise or hobby or whatever. It's really yeah. important to start looking after yourself and your own mental health because you're facing a lot, a lot, a lot. And if you can resource yourself with something that's just for you, it's not for anyone else. I think yeah. it would be really beneficial to you. Yeah. And I actually, I started acupuncture last week, which is wonderful. Um, wonderful, all- but it, it's still fertility related, isn't it? True. Yeah. yeah. It's still another appointment. And I actually walked into the acupuncturist office and just completely broke down crying. She was like, what's wrong? She had no idea. And um, it just brought back a lot of memories because the last time I was there was right before I got pregnant with Claire. So that's, yeah. and that's the other thing going into all these places that you went to when you were pregnant. So the dentist or getting your hair done or, you know, seeing like next week, I have to go on a work trip and see everyone that I saw right before it happened. And I'm just not prepared for that. Um, And I didn't think it would hit me so hard, you know, having to go in. I remember emailing the hair person and saying, this is what happened because I didn't want to walk in there and have to explain it in person. I just thought this, this will be a mess. Um, So yeah, it's a struggle. Yeah. Sounds I, like I, such a lot. As well. Yeah, it's just, it's that, it's so hard. Like, and I think lots of our ladies that we talk to have that about being intimate with their partner in the terms of like, last time we had sex, I was pregnant. 
and now I'm not, you know, and that it doesn't sound like a lot, but actually it's a really, really difficult thing to come to terms with. And it puts people off, you know, being intimate and stuff. It's, it's not something that is easy to do, I think, for lots and lots of women. And I think the main thing to remember is just take it at your own pace and don't put pressure on yourself at all. Yeah. And, don't, and don't feel like you should do things if you don't want to do them. Yeah. I don't just mean have sex. I mean, yeah. <laughs> other stuff too. <laughs> oh blimey well Kate thank you so much for sharing your story with us Mm. and Claire's story um I'm so sorry and wish you all the luck for the future and especially June please keep in touch won't you and update us letting us let us know how you're getting on yeah I don't I don't know if you guys follow politics over here but there's a lot of changes going on for women over here and rights in terms of abortions and IVF and whatnot. So I think it's, it's just so important that there's support and resources available. And I will be screaming about your podcast as long as I can and just how helpful you guys have been. So well, also don't forget we've got our, um, we've got our membership as well, where we sort of have online, online sessions every week where you can come and share your story and then all our creative therapy stuff as well. So yeah thank you for what you do thank you for um sharing yours and claire's story it's been lovely to listen to you thank you appreciate it take care enjoy the sunshine and thank you (laughs) all the best okay take care